second Bible reading for today comes from Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 31. Um, please follow along on your own Bibles, the screen behind me, or on the Pew Bibles, which is found on page 1,221. Paul's concern for the Galatians. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? These people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, be glad barren woman, you who never bore a child Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Thanks, Elka. And isn't it uh, great to see the youth serving so well and serving so uh, faithfully? What a, a blessing it is. It would be great if you could uh, keep your Bible open as we work through uh, Galatians chapter 4. And if you're uh, an outline kind of person, you'll find an outline uh, in the bulletin, so you might uh, like to keep that open as well. Uh, but as we begin, I'm going to pray, so please uh, pray with me. Heavenly Father, your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Uh, may you be at work in us now as we consider it. Uh, please shape us and form us into the image of your Son through your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, don't you find in life that it's so easy to go back to your old ways? I experienced this recently. Um, as many of you might know, earlier this year I started training for a half marathon 
and things were going really well. Um, I was running three to four times a week. My best was about 15 or 16 kilometers in one go, and everything was going extremely well. But you know what happened? Uh, old age caught up with me, and I pushed too hard in one, uh, one particular day, and I tore something in my hip. And so I couldn't walk for a few days, and then I had to stop running for a month or so to let it heal. But you know what happened after a month or so, once it had finally healed? I'd gone back to my old ways, my old ways of sleeping in, of sitting on the couch, of eating lots of chocolate. And it was actually extremely hard to get up and going again. Isn't that the way of life? In life, it's so easy to go back to our old ways. I'm sure you can think of times you've experienced things like that. Uh, Maybe you developed good eating habits. No more junk food, no more chips, no more chocolate, no more carbs, only vegetables. And you're going well for a while, but then the chocolate started calling from the cupboard and you gave in and went back to your old ways. Or maybe you got in a really good groove for studying, waking up early, getting all assignments done weeks in advance, but then after a little while, you found yourself slipping back into your old ways, old habits of sleeping in and doing assignments last minute. There's a million ways it can work itself out, but in life, it's so easy to go back to our old ways. And have you ever found that actually, that's what the Christian life is like? It's a constant battle against the temptation to go back to our old ways. Because life before we were Christians seems so appealing. It seems like it was so simple and so easy. I'm sure you can think of people you know that have done that, that have gone back to their old ways. People that at one point would have called themselves a Christian, but now no longer do. I can remember one guy I was a student leader with at Christian Union when I was at uni, and his faith seemed so strong. He was so involved in serving. He seemed to love God so much. Yet now, today, he doesn't even call himself a Christian anymore. And as I was thinking about him, sadly, I remembered another guy I know just like him. Then I remembered another one. I'm sure, sadly, you can think of people like that as well. It's why often the case is with youth groups, not necessarily as here, just in general, they often start off with, say, 10 to 12 students in year 7. But by the time that cohort gets to year 12, there's only maybe three or four left. It's so easy to go back to our old ways. But the question is, why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we go back to our old ways? And that's the question that Paul addresses in Galatians 4. He tells us why we shouldn't. He tells us what's at stake. And to do so, he gives us three reasons why. Now, the first is this. We'd be abandoning our freedom. Before we knew God, we were slaves. Did you see that? Have a look at verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. See, that's what people are when they don't know God. They might think they're free, or we might look at them and think they're free, but they're not. Life apart from God is a life of slavery. I'm always struck by that, particularly when I look at celebrities in Hollywood. I think what they are are slaves to beauty and to looks. And that's why they chase hard, they do so much plastic surgery, and they do it to the point where actually they look quite horrifying by the end. But they're slaves to beauty. 
Another, another way I was struck by it this week was reflecting on it. I don't know if you, you know of Elon Musk, so a famous uh, businessman, famous millionaire. He works 20 hours a day. And so we might look at him and think, wow, you'd be so free if you had that much money and that much fame and that much power. But working 20 hours a day isn't free. That's slavery, slavery to career and to work and to success. And I'm sure we can think of things that we were slaves to before we knew God. What people thought of us, how we looked, our career. Life apart from God is a life of slavery. But the reverse is also true. A life of knowing God and being known by God is a life of freedom. Uh, The word Paul uses here for know is an extremely intimate idea. Uh, In Genesis 4, we're told that Adam knew Eve and they had a child. So that's the kind of level of intimacy that's going on here. And that's the level of intimacy we get with God. But did you notice what it says in verse 9? It's not because we know God, but because God knows us. Have a look. But now that you know God, or rather, are known by God. Imagine if I told you that I know the Queen. I'm like, yeah, yeah, her name is Elizabeth. She lives in Buckingham Palace. She's got lots of kids and grandkids, one of whom is extremely obnoxious. I know the Queen. And you might just say, well, you've just watched The Crown. But then imagine if you and I were watching the Queen's Christmas speech. And in her speech, she mentioned her, quote, good friend, Ollie Blythe. You'd be blown away. I'd be blown away. But there's a difference between knowing someone famous, knowing facts about someone famous, and them personally knowing us. Yet that's what we are. We're known not just by the Queen of England, but by the King of the universe, by God. We are known by God. And that gives us great freedom. We don't need to chase after physical beauty, because we know how beautiful we are in God's eyes because of Christ. We don't need to pursue success because we have an even greater success, that of Christ's work on the cross, credited to us. See, while life apart from God is a life of slavery, life with God is a life of freedom. But how crazy it would be to have that kind of freedom and yet go back to slavery. Yet that's what we're doing when we go back to our old ways. Have a look at verse 9 again. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Paul says, how could you taste such freedom and yet go back? It would be madness. Yet the problem is that we are tempted to go back. I think there's somehow, there's something about the human heart that leans towards slavery. Think about the Israelites in the wilderness. Uh, They've just been miraculously freed from slavery in Egypt. And yet what do they want? Well, they want to go back to slavery. Numbers 11 talks about it. And I love how it mentions the reason there. The reason they want to go back, they want the cucumbers. Have a look at Numbers 11 uh, after the service, but they want their cucumbers. But they want to go back to slavery. 
And did you know that uh, when slavery was abolished in the US, actually many of the former slaves went back to slavery because they didn't know how to live free. There's something about the human heart that leans towards slavery. And so we need to hear this warning here then. Paul says, don't go back. Don't abandon your freedom. And now this slavery, this, this slavery can take two forms. They're almost like two sides of the slavery coin. Uh, one slavery is to the weak and miserable principles of the world. That's the things we've already kind of thought about a bit. That's things that aren't religious, things that aren't linked with God in particular. Things like beauty or popularity or success. But it can also take a religious bent. Uh, that's what we see in verse 10. It's the idea of Jesus plus. Now, Paul mentioned special days and months and seasons and years. Uh, days was likely referring to Sabbaths, uh, months to celebrations that were tied to the cycles of the moon, seasons to the events that kind of spanned for more than one day. So that would be things like the Feast of Tabernacles or the Passover. And years likely refers to the year of Jubilee uh, celebrations. And so what was happening was the Galatians were being enslaved by these religious actions, by keeping these special religious days. And in the same way, I think it's so easy for us to be enslaved by religion as well, to think that we please God by attending church or doing good deeds, that somehow that's us keeping our side of the bargain with God. But the reality is that that's not how we get right with God. We've seen that over and over and over and over and over again in the book of Galatians. We're told constantly, actually, it's not what we do. It's what Christ has done on the cross. And if we think it's what we contribute or we play a part, then we are slaves to religion. And that's why I think it's so important to remember, actually, it's not about us knowing God, but being known by God. And so that's the first point that Paul tells us. Why shouldn't we go back to our old ways? Well, because if we did, we'd be abandoning our freedom. We'd be going from freedom back to slavery. We'd be leaving behind the freedom that comes from being known intimately by God. The second reason why we shouldn't go back to our old ways is because we'd be abandoning our first joy. Because that's what Paul reminds the Galatians of now, that joy they had when they first received that freedom, when they first found out about God's intimacy with them. He starts in verse 12, have a look. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. He says, become like him, that is, conscious of the freedom they have. For he became like them. Now, uh, when we hear that, we might be reminded of 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul talks about how he became all things to all people so that they might hear the gospel to the Jews. He was a Jew to the Gentiles. He was a Gentile. See, Paul became like the Galatians so they could hear of that news of freedom. And Paul wants them then to remember the joy they had when they heard that news, when they heard and believed because that's what he reminds them of now. And it really is beautiful. Paul came to them because of some kind of sickness, and they treated him with such love and care and generosity. Have a look at verses 12 to 14. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God. 
as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Now, we don't know exactly what this illness was, although perhaps verse 15 suggests it was something to do with his eyes. And perhaps this is the thorn in Paul's flesh that he talks about in 2 Corinthians 12. But whatever it was, Paul came to them due to an illness. And you can just imagine it. He stumbles in weak and sick and needing care. And it would have been so easy for them to cast him out. After all, they'd need to shelter him and feed him and care for him, perhaps wash him, give him a bed to sleep in. He would have been a burden to them. But what did they do instead? Well, they loved him and they welcomed him. See, that was the fruit of the Galatians' first joy. Because of this news about the freedom they had from God, they were filled with such generosity towards Paul, even to the point where they were willing, if they could have, to cut out their own eyes for him. And that is generosity. And I wonder, can you remember what you felt like when you first understood the gospel? Can you remember what you felt like? I can. I can remember it so distinctly, the joy, the wonder, the shock. I could barely believe it. God is real and God cares for me and God cares so much that he gave his son to die for me. It literally sent shivers through me. And I wonder, can you remember what it first felt like, what that first feeling was, the joy, the excitement, the way it led you to love and serve others? It's that feeling that Paul wants us to remember. But don't you find that it's so easy to forget that, to let the newness of the message kind of fade away a bit so that we eventually become blasé about it, to let rival joys drown it out? I mean, even King David experienced this. In Psalm 51, he prays this, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Even King David found that first joy slowly fade away. So then the question is, well, how can we recapture that joy? How can we remember it again? Well, I think the start is to do what David did and pray about it. We could pray that, exactly what he prays in Psalm 51. God, restore that joy to me. But I think we also need to make sure we actually spend time reflecting on the gospel, reflecting on the message that we were slaves to the weak, and miserable forces of this world. And yet God reached out to us to know us as intimately as a husband and a wife know each other. And to do that, he sent his son to die for us, to wash away our sin and our rebellion. See, that's the good news of the gospel. That's the message that should give us such joy. But when was the last time you paused and thought about it? When was the last time you actually spent time reflecting on it? Was it a week ago? Was it a month ago? Was it a year ago? See, if we never spend time reflecting on the message, that shouldn't surprise us that we don't feel particularly joyful about it. And so it's a helpful reminder to us to pause and think, to pause and reflect. Otherwise, We're in danger of becoming like the Galatians, in danger of going back to our old ways, of leaving behind our first joy. For the Galatians, this was brought about by people who came in and tried to kind of woo them over. We see that in verses 17 and 18. The word used there for zealous has the idea of someone trying to win away a wife 
from her husband, trying to kind of zealously court a wife away from her husband. And in a sense, that's what these people were doing to the Galatians. They were trying to win over the Galatians away from Paul and his message. But Paul says, don't listen. Don't listen to them. And something we need to hear, because we're constantly zealously courted. All we need to do is turn on the TV or go on social media or talk to other people and we'll be zealously courted. The world tries to win us over to its ways and away from God. But Paul says, don't listen. Don't go back to your old ways. If you do, you'd be abandoning your first joy. And as he then pleads with them about that, you can almost feel the passion kind of oozing off the page, the the emotion and the, the affection that he has for them. Have a look at verses 19 and 20. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I'm perplexed about you. Now this is actually the only time in all of Paul's letters that he uses that term, dear children, and so it shows us the affection that he has for the Galatians, and shows us just how heartbroken he is that they might be abandoning their first joy. As a pastor, I've had situations where I've had to speak hard words to people, but it's never done lightly. And it's always done with much anguish and much prayer and even with heartbreak sometimes. And I'm sure here that Paul must be the same. He doesn't say this lightly. It is painful for him to say this. But what it shows us is what a big deal this is. To turn away from Christ, to turn away from the gospel, is to abandon life. Trusting anything other than Christ's life, death and resurrection is a false gospel. It is a false hope. And Paul wants them and he wants us to be clear on that. To feel the weight of what is at stake if they go back to their old ways. If we go back to our old ways. And so that's why we need to be so clear. Why shouldn't I go back to my old ways? Well, because it would be abandoning my first joy. It would mean stepping away from the sonship that we have in Christ and instead following the empty and worthless things of this world. And then finally, why shouldn't we go back to our old ways? Well, the third reason is because we'd be abandoning our heavenly family. Uh, To make this point, Paul uses an allegory. Uh, That is, he takes an Old Testament story and he applies a theological meaning to it. Uh, The story he uses is the one we heard read out before of Hagar and Sarah. Uh, Sarah was Abraham's wife, the one who God's promises were going to go through. But in Genesis 16, as we heard read before, uh, Abraham and Sarah start doubting it'll happen. They're having trouble conceiving, and so they try and uh, figure out a way to do things themselves. Uh, Sarah comes up with a a supposedly great idea that Abraham should have a child through Sarah's servant, Hagar. Abraham does, and Hagar gives birth to Ishmael. And this was the wrong thing to do. It wasn't trusting in God or trusting in God's promises. It was taking things into their own hands. And so here, Paul uses Hagar and Ishmael to symbolize us taking things into our own hands, us trying to work to save ourselves. And that's why it's described as slavery. 
It's described as people who aren't part of God's promised heavenly family. Uh, That's contrasted, though, with Sarah. A little while after these events that we've seen in Genesis 16 with Hagar, Sarah does get pregnant. She gives birth to Isaac. And here, Paul uses Sarah and Isaac to represent God's promised line, the line that salvation will come down, to represent God's promised heavenly family. See, Paul takes this story and even tells us himself in verse 24 that he's using it figuratively. But his point is that any who trust in Jesus have been adopted into God's heavenly family as heirs. We saw that last week. But if we turn back to our old ways, then we're leaving behind that heavenly family. We're abandoning that. And if we do, that means we'll never inherit God's kingdom. That's where Paul culminates that. Did you see verses 30 and 31? Have a look. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in their inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. We are not children of the slave woman, that is Hagar, but children of the free woman, that is Sarah. And we all know what families are like. Families are great. I'm actually off to a family birthday party today after church for lunch, and that'll mean lots of Pepsi and cake and fish and chips, and it'll be great. Families are a great blessing from God. Though sadly, some of us here don't have good earthly families, and actually the reality is that no earthly family is perfect. But even so, we know that at their best, families are meant to be people who love and care for us who are there for us, and who welcome us with open arms. But what's so good about the heavenly family is that it's a family that's better than any earthly family. It's a family that has God as its head, who's loving and just and faithful and true. It has Jesus Christ as our older brother, who loves and cares for us so much that he literally died for us so that we might be welcomed into his family as co-heirs. It has the Holy Spirit who's always with us, always guiding us, always helping us. And it has each other, our church family, fellow family members, a community of brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, aunts and uncles, grandparents and grandkids. I mean, how could we possibly want to go away, abandon a family like that? Of course we wouldn't. Bad enough to turn your back, to abandon your earthly family, but far, far worse to abandon your heavenly family. And so that's our passage. Why shouldn't we turn back to our old ways? Well, because we'd be abandoning our freedom, we'd be abandoning our first love, and we'd be abandoning our heavenly family. I think this is a message we do need to hear. Because the reality is that we face the exact same temptations as the Galatians. The exact same temptation to turn back to our old ways. When we see our friends sleeping in on a Sunday morning, and we think, how good would that be? When we're pressured because of our views on sexuality, and we realize how much easier it would be if we just believe what everyone else believes when we're put in awkward situations where it would just be easier to lie, but we know that God calls for truth. And we wish, in a sense, we're just like everyone else. In a million little ways and big ways, every day we face that temptation, 
that lure to go back to our old ways. And so we need to hear this because we keep hearing and thinking it would be so much easier, so much better if we did. But let me tell you this, that is a lie. It's a lie. It's so easy to look and think that it was better back there, but it's not and it won't be. See, that is the devil lying to you, trying to get you to turn your back on true freedom, true joy and true family. We know the devil is a deceiver. We meet him in Genesis 3 and right from the start he lies and deceives. He distorts the truth to lead Adam and Eve into sin and he hasn't changed his ways in the thousands of years since. He's just as filled with lies today as he was back then and this is one of the lies that he peddles that things were better for you back then, back in your old ways. He tells you you were so much happier, so much more content, so much more free, but it's a lie, we weren't. And so what are we to do then? Well, we're to believe the truth, not the lie. See, the truth is that we have true freedom in God, a freedom far greater than anything the world could offer, Freedom not tied with temporary things or with the opinions of others, but freedom that comes from knowing and being known by God. The truth that we have true joy in that freedom, a joy that comes from being known by such a good and gracious God. It's a joy far surpassing the joys, the fleeting joys of this world. And the truth that we have a true heavenly family, with God our Father, with Christ our older brother, and the Holy Spirit our companion and helper. See, all other families will let us down at some stage, in big or little ways, but this heavenly family will never let us down. That's the truth of the gospel, the truth of the book of Galatians. And so what are we to do? Well, we're to believe that truth, not the lie. Now, usually as I close, I like to try and share a profound quote or tell a deeply moving story. But today, I want to share with you a kid's song. Uh, At the Blythe household, our bedtime routine for Levi looks like this. He has dinner, then a bath, then the Bible, then a song, and then bed. And for the songs, what we like to do is uh, play Christian songs from YouTube. And there's a few that Levi particularly likes, so they're the ones that just get played over and over again. One of them is called, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. Now, in a minute, I'm going to play the the first minute or so for you, which will give you the gist. But I do want to give a disclaimer that we know theologically we cannot decide to follow Jesus unless God has first decided to choose us. So I want to give that theological framework, but but with that in mind, it's a good song. So uh, let's have a look at the first minute or so of this song. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning
it keeps going like that, but you get the gist. Isn't that a good song with dancing rhinos and Jamaican bears? And I think that's meant to be Noah. I'm not entirely sure. But Levi loves it and he dances along to it. But aren't the words great? I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And let me share what the, the rest of the song says. So it says, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow, no turning back, no turning back. And you know what? As Levi's dad, there's nothing I want more for him than that that he would follow Jesus and keep following Jesus, no turning back. And as your pastor, that is what I long for for you more than anything else, that you will follow Jesus and keep following Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Whether that be for the next 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, whenever it is that Christ returns or God takes you home, no turning back, no turning back. I'm going to pray that that would be the case. Please uh, pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful uh, generosity you've shown us in welcoming us into your kingdom, welcoming us into your family. Uh, would you help us? Would you protect us, we ask? And we do confess that sometimes we find it so tempting to want to turn back, uh, to want to go back to our old ways. Uh, would you remind us what a, a foolish thing that is, that we're, we'd be abandoning our freedom, our first joy and our heavenly family, would you remind us of just how good it is to be included in your kingdom? And would you uh, lift up the things of heaven in our minds and push down the things of this world? Help us to cling to you as you cling to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.